Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is The Solo Collective, and I'm Rebecca Seal. Before we start today's episode, I'd love to share a podcast recommendation with you. Ever imagined you could be mentored and guided by some of the most influential leaders in business? That's where the 40-Minute Mentor comes in. The 40-Minute Mentor, hosted by James Mitra, is all about making business mentorship accessible to everybody. And he interviews a whole range of really fascinating entrepreneurs and business leaders. So far this season, he's interviewed people like Mo Gordat, founder of the One Billion Happy Movement, who I love, incidentally, I was on his podcast, and co-founder of Entrepreneur First, Alice Bentink, and Grace Beverly, CEO and founder of the fitness brands Tala and Shreddy. And he basically allows them to tell you everything that they know about business in 40 minutes. It's available on Apple, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. Money is such a difficult thing to talk about. It is emotional and it's scary and it can feel overwhelming and horribly grown up sometimes. So I wanted to have a long conversation about money with Elizabeth Uwe Benene because she's written this brilliant book called The Reset, which is all about how to, well, change the world, basically, nothing, nothing major. It's about how to change work and community and societies and cities and culture <laughs> for the better, um, which sounds enormous, but actually it's this brilliantly slim book that is entirely digestible, even though it's full of enormous ideas. And she writes for the Financial Times about work and... I just knew that she would have a lot to say about money and its relationship with us when we work on our own, whether by ourselves or for ourselves. I'm delighted that we managed to have this conversation and I'm really grateful to her for the level of honesty that she exhibited in talking about money and her own relationship with it because I just think we can make things a lot easier for ourselves as solo workers if we are a bit more transparent about what we earn and who pays us what and how we make our money and how much money we're making because that will help us all to navigate the complexities of asking for money and trying to get paid and knowing our worth with a little bit more kind of grace and a little bit more confidence. This is about how you cope and about how you think about money and I think that's a really vital element of all of it. It's not about the practicalities, it's about how our brains interact with, with money itself. I really loved your book. I really loved the reset. I was like fist pumping as I was reading it. I thought it was brilliant. I loved the fact that you managed to fit so many massive ideas into a really digestibly sized book. I think that that is really impressive that you could kind of distill so many complicated and really important topics into really kind of clear 
and straightforward message. So I appreciate that. And I recommend everybody go out and, and have a read of it. And I, what I also really like is the fact that you've got this writing gig at the Financial Times, which I am quite envious of. I'm going to, I will And, you know, I just really love that the, that the FT and um, organisations like it are taking seriously this topic of how we work and are also approaching it from the point of view of a slightly younger generation than they might previously have done. I just think that there's an opening up of perspectives about work and you're a big part of that, which is just such it can be nothing but a good thing, right? Yeah. And I think that's that's my ambition when anything I do, I really I'm such a big believer in, you know, diverse perspectives make for richer solutions. And yeah. um and thank you so much for all the kind things you said about the book and um my my writing because believe it or not, this whole world is still quite new to me because I didn't grow up wanting to be a writer or anything like that. And I've kind of like been thrust into this world of, of you know, writing books that, you know, hopefully kind of shifts people's understanding and, and perspective. So it is really still lovely to hear people say nice things. <laughs> I think also you should remember that even people who grow up wanting to be a writer don't have a clue how to do it, <laughs> at least at the beginning. So yeah, I definitely, I think we're all works in progress, aren't we, to a greater or lesser extent? Definitely. <laughs> so tell me a bit about what prompted you to write The Reset in the first place. Like, was there a, was there a moment, was there a thing that made you, that made you realise that you wanted to do something that spoke to how the world of work needed to change? No, so it's so interesting because, like, I think with these ideas and um, with the reset especially, like like you said, the way it's structured, there's so many different bits going on. So it was definitely, I guess, not one moment. It was, I guess, little kind of little moments, little things that made me realise that, you know what, like the way we kind of talk about work and the way we kind of view the way we approach work hasn't isn't evolving enough and it isn't diverse enough so I guess you know my first book was you know very centered around the experiences of black women in the workplace and I guess after that I was still you know I got my gig at the FT and I was still very much writing about the future of work and business culture and you know, going into all these workplaces and as, as you know, speaking and, and meeting different people made me realise that my experience as a black woman um, and the challenges that I experienced at work was very much not only a, like it was very much not universal, but there were pain points around everybody's experiences. So it was that cultural, I guess, tension that I felt while speaking to people. But it was also, I guess, looks at, looking at the stats. So I think 2018, self-employment was the highest it's ever been. And that was driven a lot by what women, uh, minority groups um, and people living with disabilities. So um, and they all kind of cited this, decided the fact that the workplace was inflexible and that kind of you know made, made them you know, it's push and pull factors made them, some people were leaving because they, you know, had great ideas and great business ideas and they wanted to go it alone and, and took that plunge, took that risk. Other people, it, it seemed because the workplace wasn't acclimatising to their needs and ambitions. So for me, that was also like another thing that made me realise, oh, okay, you know, the stats is kind of pointing to one thing. Culturally, people having conversations that, you know, the workplace wasn't essentially working. And when I pitched the idea of the book, it was December 2019, so it was pre-pandemic. And I guess, you know, that kind of feeling when I entered 2020 was still very much there. So when I started working on the book, it very much started to address the fact that people wanted to work differently. And that was based purely on the things that I was seeing in culture, um, 
you know, the, the explosion of burnout as everyday lexicon in our, you know, everybody talking about burnout and things like that, that became very much embedded in like in just how we, how we kind of were speaking about work. So again, it just made me realise that we were not addressing some of the real pain points and how we work and live. So given all of that, one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about today was the kind of the relationship that we have with money and income, mm. um, because I think that that is such a, a a pain point, as you put it, for um, for people who are solo. I feel as though we've reached a really interesting and quite difficult point in our kind of cultural development where we, many of us, really experience success mm. through our income Gosh, yeah. Or, or we like really connect the two very tightly together. And certainly I, in the early stages of my freelance life, which has been going on for 12 years now, I didn't really have any uh, any other way of judging whether things were going well or not, apart from what my kind of annual income looked like. I didn't, I, I hadn't kind of created any tools for myself or ways of thinking about whether whether my work was going well or what I wanted or anything. I only thought about it in terms of income, really, which sounds really shallow, but I think is a I think is a really, really common experience. And I just wondered what what you thought about that. Like, how have we got to this point where self-worth, success and income are also sort of tightly bound together? That's such a good point. And it's so interesting because you said you've been in this like for like 12 years, going it alone for 12 years. And for me, it's three years this mm-hmm. month. So congratulations. Thank you. It's a milestone, I tell you. <laughs> no, I'm impressed. I mean, it's it's something like to get through it. It's hard. You know, there are great things about it, but it's hard. So yeah, I mean it. You're so right, because I used to say this to my friend, like, how do I know that, you know, this whole self-employment and being going it alone is working? Because on the outside, I guess, this, you know, I've got a visible platform and it, from the outside, it may look like, oh my gosh, you're doing so well. And everything, like, you know, you're everywhere. You, you're getting like loads of press and the things that you, I was doing, obviously, was staying lane. And I think that's really nice because that's a good way to measure things when people, you receive nice feedback from people and people want to share your work. So for me, that was something that I had to kind of factor into how I view, you know, how well I was doing, mm. but not in a shallow way, but in a way that you know, the work that I was doing was reaching new people and opening up a conversation. So that was a measure of how I was viewing, you know, and how I view kind of like, I guess, success, not just purely down to book sales, but down to the conversations that's been generated and mind sh- and people having people tapping into that. When I think about the income side of things, that for me is super, super important to me because I don't have, you know, the safety net. I, you know, I currently rent. I have to meet that rent. I have living costs that I have to meet. But there isn't anything else. Like I have yeah. to, I have to meet that. So for me, that's always been like super important because I left a job, I guess a stable, you know, job in the city in order to take this plunge to do what I'm doing. So I really, really do see income and um, how much I was making as something that I, um, I would would not worry about, but would be very, very mindful of. Mm. But I guess one of the biggest things, what I know now, and I guess my biggest advice to people is and I guess this is I, I don't know this is my biggest advice and someone told me this and it's focused on the impact and the money will come and I know that that may seem a bit like oh like you know a blanket statement but I believe that that's why the stuff that I've done with staying lane has lasted so long because there wasn't a grand plan when I left you know my corporate job through this time three years ago I wanted to kind of basically you know, have the summer to work on Sling Lane and go back into the corporate world. That was my plan. It was never something that I I, I was trying to, you know, be self-employed for longer than a summer. 
and I think when I look back and I say, and I think about what were the real kind of, what is the main lesson is focus on the impact. And I think because I was focused on the impact of something and not really thinking about the numbers around book sales or things like that, everything just felt bigger and bigger and grow and grew. But I still was very mindful of, is this working? And mm. I would very much every couple of weeks, not a couple of weeks, every couple of months, you know, look at my, you know, I've got a spreadsheet and it's called money. And it's so broad, but it's called money. <laughs> and I go into that spreadsheet and, you know, I was, I would chart what was paying what. And it's been, it's been interesting to see that. And I'd go into my bank account and I would update where I was financially and in, in, in my savings and things like that. Not because I had a savings goal. There wasn't like a massive savings goal, but just to keep track over the time every month what I was earning and how that was growing in my savings account. And I'm no spreadsheet wizard and I'm really, you know, I'm not really good at all these numbers, if I'm honest with you. But that basic understanding of this is how things are growing or not growing was was helpful to me to understand where I should put my energies into or what I should kind of scale back on. I think that kind of um, oversight is really, really critically important for anyone who works on their own. I I didn't have that for a really long time. And I used to avoid looking at my bank statement and saying um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I definitely I definitely just was like stick my fingers in my ears, hum and hope it all goes away. You know, the money stuff can be really frightening. I think for a lot of us when we're on our when we're on our own but it's I think actually paying close attention to it is the best way to make it less scary absolutely and I think also what you what you were just saying reflects something which I find quite interesting about money was this idea that you've got extrinsic motivators for work and intrinsic motivators for work like the extrinsic well I can never say that word extrinsic (laughs) ones being being like money and status and then the intrinsic ones being kind of you know um, purpose and, and value and I I just didn't I don't think I quite grasped for a really long time that you you can't just rely on the extrinsic ones you can't you can't have everything be external like I think I did a lot of things that were in pursuit of status and money Mm. and actually the sort of the upside down of what you did in terms of saying that you can follow you know if you follow the impact the money will follow I think I was following the money and hoping for impact (laughs) and um, (laughs) weirdly enough that doesn't work do you think that that happens sort of more broadly I feel as though that's a kind of almost like a societal pattern not just me I hope (laughs) no I, I, I think you're right there's definitely that element that you know when I came into the workplace I was very strategic and I wanted to do something quite creative, but I also, you know, make, need to make sure, need to, needed to make sure that I was earning a good living. So mm-hmm. I think there's always compromises to be made. And I think you have to kind of have a pragmatic approach to your dreams, basically, always. So I wanted to work in something that was, you know, a bit more creative, but I also wanted to earn a very decent living. And that's why I ended up in banking and being in marketing wasn't an accident it was a pursuit so when I guess what I do now I there are options when I try and look at do I take on a certain gig it might not pay a lot but I think about the impacts and that is and the impact is more about the long term so mm. I think there are certain there are certain things or certain jobs or certain things I do and it's in and it either falls into two kind of buckets really which is what you're saying was either you know or this is not really massively a, a great payout but it might open up something else or mm. or, or it, it teaches me something or it positions me as something. So when I think about that, it's more about long term. But the bills need to be paid. I need to make sure that I'm, you know, like you said, 
you know, setting aside a pension and things like that. So mm. there are things that I may go, you know what, this is really not going to be about, you know, setting up, it's not going to be you know, just a great conversation starter, but it will help me do the stuff that I want to do. So it's, it is that ebb and flow between, you know, the pragmatism as well as the like, you know, dreams and, 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 and doing that. How do you think we get better at talking about money? Because I feel as though, particularly for women, but that may not be fair, actually, because um, I know a lot of men who struggle to to talk about money as well. Um, and I don't mean kind of conversations between friends. I mean, kind of asking for more money or chasing payments or, you know, there's there's so much about solitary work, which can be kind of really tangled up emotionally around money. And actually, I mean, this is true for remote workers who are salaried as well. When I had a salary, I found the conversations around asking for more money, even though I knew at times that, you know, I I was owed it, as it were. Um, Mm. I I just, I was so awkward about it. Um, I still feel very awkward about it. I mean, it's something something about being British, I think, (laughs) which which isn't helpful. But I feel as though that was a kind of thread running through your book, that there are kind of difficult conversations that we need to be a bit better at having. Would Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think because when you are freelance and self-employed, a lot of the work that we do is based on conversations and relationships. So you don't want to essentially mess that up. You want to have good relationship, good working relationships with people. And you don't want to piss anybody off unnecessarily. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like if someone's not paying you for like six months and you chase an invoice, then if you send an angry email, of course you're within your rights. But you don't want to, even when something's like you're within your rights to send kind of like annoyed email you still want to make sure that this person may commission you again or this first person you know doesn't think bad of you because a lot of these commissions and the way that we work in this solitary way can just come down to oh she was really great she was really you know mm. amiable she was really like nice and when I think the further you away the further you are away from as especially as women being perceived as being nice the more and agreeable the more that can be quite difficult to have and I think for me for me what's helped me is stepping outside of the kind of constraints of like like being nice because I'm it's, I'm offering a service so therefore the level of professionalism I expect on the other person's end as well and I think for me it's like I it's being professional is really important to me and and, and I really love when people are professional and competent and they're doing what they need to do on their end because I do that on my end. So when it comes to asking for, for money or being paid on time, I just take my feelings out of it and I take that emotion out mm-hmm. of it and I try my best to do that. Times when things haven't gone right in terms of emails or things like that, it's because I put too much emotion into it and that's just a personal thing. So because when you are working solo, there is that emotional attachment we have to our work that you wouldn't have if you were in the office. And because you're constantly reminded that, like I used to say, when I used to work at, you know, the bank I was working for, I'd say that my dad doesn't own this environment, like doesn't own this bank. Like, like there's only so much I can care. I know that sounds really like basic, but there was only so much I can care. Yeah. So, cause I knew by the end of the day, whatever I was getting paid my, my monthly salary. So when people would put a level of stress on me that didn't feel, that didn't feel, I guess, didn't make sense to me, to deliver a piece of work away or something, I used to just remember, oh my gosh, like this is just a job. When you work alone, it is a job and you are, but it still feels like it's very personal. Mm. So I think sometimes it's about taking my own personal feelings out of it. And if I'm charging X amount for something, it isn't a personal thing. So if this person comes back and says, you know what, I can't meet that. 
okay, can we, it's like, it's not an indictment on me. It's, it's, it might, it might sometimes there are biases where people would be like, oh, you know, she's a young black woman, so she, she can let her, we're going to underpay her. And there's, you know, a real conversation around people being underpaid, especially, you know, with the lack of transparency mm. with, with, um, in self-employment sometimes. But I think for me is it always reiterating my value and also, like I said, being, being aware of what is the status or, or positioning and, and, and long-term plans on what is basically like a transaction. So I'm doing this thing because I need to, I'm like, this is purely falls into the bucket of this is a very good paying gig, but that's it. Yeah. I think that point about transparency is really, really an important one to pick up actually, because one of the things that I found most valuable, I think in my working life in recent years has been a Facebook group for women in the creative industries. And there's a lot of conversation about rates, like is X an okay amount to be paid for Y? You know, someone's offered me this, does that sound fair? And it's unbelievably valuable because that just doesn't happen. Those conversations are so rarely had. Like, I can't really imagine asking another writer of my sort of age and stage and saying, I, I, I'm getting paid this for this book. Do you think that's appropriate? Like, should I ask for more? Like, I, having a real life conversation would feel very strange. But for some reason, because it's in the context of, a, of an online group, it's easier to do. And, and the other thing I really appreciate are the um, occasional websites like the National Union of Journalists has got one for freelance fees, where people anonymously post what they've been paid for specific pieces of work, not with any kind of identifying information for the work either, but what a newspaper has paid them to write 600 words or a thousand or, or whatever. And I, I just think there should be more of that. There should be more sharing and, and much more transparency. Absolutely. And I think that's so hard then to make plans about the future, because at the moment I'm currently trying to make big life decisions about where I want to be in terms of like my actual life. And that's going to be influenced by what I know I can make with my earning potential and finances. And there's that long term future planning that you need to do, you know, to make sure that you you live a sustainable um, life within in the stuff that you're doing and even after after this chat that we're having today I'm later on this afternoon I'm having a chat with my accountant it's uncomfortable because I tried not to have this conversation and I kind of like put push it back but I really need to be clear in order to make big future plans about you know about where I live like you know is buying a house at this moment the right time or should I push it back like these are the conversations that I have in my head and the only way I can make sense of them is really face them head on and have this conversation but I need to have a real understanding of what is my earning potential what can it be and sometimes when we don't have this the lack of transparency that we sometimes have in this industry can really limit you in order to plan for your future and that's quite frustrating yeah I, I, I totally agree it's really difficult hey there it's Michelle Norris I'm host of a podcast called your mama's kitchen when I travel I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home and one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain and Airbnb allows me to do that when I was in California recently I rented a house that had a great kitchen and when we were sitting around the table we're all thinking we're in someone else's house someone could be in all of our homes as well if you have a home but you're not always at home you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I guess one of the other things bearing in mind all of that and our sort of mutual experiences of, of financial stuff being difficult, what is, I mean, this is such a big question, um, but what is the impact of the financial instability that so many of us find ourselves experiencing because of the pandemic what what is that going to do like how do we how do we navigate that stuff what's it going to do for other solo workers given your ideas around the reset do you think the financial instability question is going to be one of the things which potentially might hold us back from kind of recalibrating the way that work is for the majority of people I guess that's my worry is that it's hard to make changes and and make them stick when you're worried about making rent I mean, there's a really interesting, you've probably come across this, there's a theory, in fact, I'm sure I read about this in your book, that a, th- a theory around scarcity and what it yeah. does to your mental capacity, like whether it's scarcity of money or scarcity of food or um, scarcity of um, safety or any of those things, mm. the way it really affects in a very deep way, the way that our brains operate. And I just, I guess I worry that things being difficult financially for a huge number of people will make it hard for big changes to happen do you think do you think that's true or am I being pessimistic I hope I'm being pessimistic no I am I think you're being so realistic and it's a very frank like question and I can't say to you that I you know I have the answers because I'm still figuring out myself like I said at the start of the conversation you know I haven't got a massive I haven't got a safety net my my safety net is myself I'm the core home basically so when I think about my future and I think about decisions I want to make you have to be very pragmatic as well as have that you know that long-term vision so I'm currently you know recalibrating some of the ways I want to live as I talk about in my book what does a good day look like for me and I have to base it on my own wants and my own desires and not sometimes what I see on social media or what what I'm told that I should be doing so I think for me the way I've kind of I'm trying to navigate it is from my point of view, what does success look like? And what does that then mean in terms of the life I want to live? And this is not a super practical, I'm not giving, you know, I'm not saying anything that's, you know, that's going to lead, lead you to that wonderful answer. But I think it's such an individual approach. And and I think that's why I'm like, I'm leaning into these difficult conversations more and more, because it's not an easy one. And sometimes it is uncomfortable, but I want the best for my life. So I have to be a bit courageous in my approach in in saying okay this is where I see things and does it marry up to the life that I want to live and and I I I, I yeah it's a very difficult one I'm not I, I can't say that you know the, the changes that we've that we you know that we've undergone in the last 18 months will be easy for many people but I think for me it just comes down to like I said in a book like what does a good day look like and everything I'm working towards now is that going to ladder up to a good life. And that is going to be, for me, my greatest motivator and my greatest motivation around, you know, what kind of jobs I want to do and how I want to kind of do it. And, you know, there's that there's that quote from Maya Angelou and it's like, success is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. And, you know, the days where I feel the most successful is when those, it, that rings true. And the days where I don't feel as successful, that means something's off. So for me, when I think about 
how I want to live my life and find and and how my finances will work within that it was going to take some uncomfortable conversations and you can't be so idealistic yet you can't be so pragmatic to your version of what success looks like so you have to try and meet in the middle and I know this is so whimsical like you know so like what I'm saying it might not be so tangible to other people but like I said I'm still working out myself and it's something that I really hope that people lean into these very challenging conversations but I think you're going to be better off rather than in a couple of years time being like oh I should have would have could have I should have you know I should have thought about this and I think it's for me it's always important to kind of be 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 transparent in why you want certain things why you know and I think it does start with yourself more than ever yeah yeah I think that's true and I think it's also worth noting that there's nothing wrong with with saying you want to earn more money like you know especially if you've got specific goals in mind that you you know you're saving up for or you're you know you're you're aiming at a specific thing I guess the times when it becomes not so positive is when you kind of put yourself on a hamster wheel and it's just churn you know you're trying and I I know that that's what you're exactly what you're trying to avoid but it's it's a dangerous Mm. possibility isn't it for people who work on their own to just kind of not have oversight of where the money is coming from and how much and and where it's going, but instead just have this kind of general generalised sense that you just need more, you've got to do more, earn more, do more, earn more kind of thing. And there's a really interesting piece of research that came out two or three years ago that suggests, um, I'm sure you've come across it, the kind of happiness plateau research about earnings, where the in every country, this is replicated in pretty much every country, there's a a kind of a happiness point so you from zero to a certain level of earnings your happiness and sort of general levels of well-being kind of grow uh, on a pretty smooth upwards trajectory and then around f- the equivalent of the UK 48,000 pounds to 60,000 pounds ish it just plateaus and just and it and it doesn't it doesn't go up even if your earnings go up at all and in fact when you get to really high earnings it starts to drop down again and and I just I was blown away by that because my in my head and I think this is a sort of cultural message that we get you know more money equals more happiness right that's that's how it goes so if we just work harder and earn more we'll be more happy and more successful and it's as though we've we've been sold a lie basically because you know I know that we all know money can't buy you happiness but but I'm not sure we believe that that isn't true and yeah I was I found that I found that a really powerful bit of understanding to have that you know after a certain point and and granted 48,000 pounds is a lot is a lot to earn per year Mm. um but it's not absolutely unattainable you know we're not talking about a hundred thousand or a million yeah it's it's not an impossible kind of level yeah so I found that I found that fascinating thank you so much Liz I just I think having a frank conversation about money is a really challenging thing and um granted we weren't showing each other our bank statements um but (laughs) but this was this was lovely and it's really kind of you to be so frank about this stuff because I think we we have to have more of these conversations for for all of us for all solo workers I think we have to we have to get into we have to get into these difficult conversations because we're going to have to have them throughout our careers with people to whom we're asking for money (laughs) so so we've got to get comfortable with the stuff haven't we thank you so much for for writing the reset it's really really brilliant so I hope everybody goes out and um, grabs a copy (laughs) thank you so much for having me such a pleasure I don't know about you but I found that to be a reassuring conversation I feel as though we just need to get used to having more conversations like that it's not the kind of conversation that I would necessarily have 
in my working life or with my friends. I think that we can be very private about money and, and how we feel about it. And although I've written about it, that's probably the longest and biggest conversation I've had about money. So I'm really grateful that we had it. And I think that the more that we do that stuff, the easier it will feel. If you've liked what you've heard on The Solo Collective, then I would love it if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And do share us with anybody who might benefit from joining us in The Solo Collective. You have been listening to a Chalk and Blade original, The Solo Collective, with me, Rebecca Seal. Produced by Laura Hyde, with support from Fatuma Kera, original music by Dee Plume, and mixed by Alex Portfelix. Chalk and Blade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.